Welcome back to Tanakhcast. This is episode 119. We'll begin with a brief summary of Jeremiah chapters 48 through 52 and conclude the book with some thoughts about failure and success as a prophet. With the end of the book of Jeremiah impending, Yirmiyahu is cleaning house. In the previous episode, the prophet unloaded on Egypt and predicted they would end up in a bad place. And now, chapter 48, he has moved on to Moab, who is in store for all kinds of horrors and terrible things. And yet, quote, my heart moans for Moab like a flute, like a flute, my heart moans for the men of Kircheres. Therefore, the gains they have made shall vanish, for every head is bald and every beard is shorn. On all hands there are gashes and on the loins sackcloth. Chapter 49 does the dirty to Ammon, describing in summarily horrid detail about the fate that will befall them, but they too will be restored. Hmm. Then Edom, quote, At the sound of their downfall the earth shall shake, the sound of screaming shall be heard at the Sea of Reeds. Then Damascus. You know what the Ukraine is? It's a sitting duck. A road apple, Newman. The Ukraine is weak. It's feeble. I think it's time to put the herd on the Ukraine. I come from Ukraine. You not say Ukraine weak. Yeah, well, we're playing a game here, pal. Ukraine is game to you. How about I take your little borders? A similar fate awaits Kedar and the kingdoms of Khazor. I must break you. And let's not forget the Elamites. I want you to get this fuck where he breathes. I want you to find this Nancy boy, Elliot Ness. I want him dead. I want his family dead. I want his house burnt to the ground. I want to go to the middle of the night. I want to piss on his ass. Except, well, the Elamites will be restored as well. Chapter 50 shifts focus to the conquerors, the Babylonians, whose days of victory and glory are over. They too will be overturned and utterly destroyed. God will raise up the Persians against them. Quote, A sword against the Chaldeans, declares the Lord, and against the inhabitants of Babylon, against its officials and its wise men. A sword against the diviners, that they be made fools of. A sword against the warriors, that they be dismayed. A sword against its horses and chariots, and against all the motley crowd in its midst, that they become like women. A sword against its treasuries, that they be pillaged. Chapter 51 continues with Yirmiyahu's lurid account of Babylon's destruction, quote, Let the archer draw his bow and let him stand ready in his coat of mail. Show no pity to her young men. Wipe out all her host. Let them fall slain in the land of the Chaldees, pierced through in her streets. But wait, there's more. Quote, Fair Babylon is like a threshing floor, ready to be trodden. In a little while, her harvest time will come. So Yirmiyahu writes down all of these tasty little morsels of disaster in one scroll and hands it to Sraya ben Neria ben Machsea, the quartermaster, with one instruction. Go to Babylon and read out all of these words. Oh, okay, two instructions. Well, actually three instructions. Once you finish reading the scroll aloud to everyone, tie a stone to it and throw it into the Euphrates. Now that's showmanship. The concluding chapter recaps all the lowlights of recent history, King Sidkiyahu's failed uprising, the siege, the starvation, Sidkiyahu's flight into the Jordan Valley, his torture and imprisonment, the destruction of Jerusalem, the looting and burning of the temple, and the exile of the people to Babylon. 
But not to end on a total downer, Yirmiyahu recounts how Yehoiachin, who had been exiled a decade earlier, was released from prison and given a seat at King Evil Merodach's table. So that's nice, I guess, for him. Here endeth the lesson. So here we are at the end of the book of Jeremiah. It's fitting, I suppose, for a book on the prophet that inspired the word Jeremiah to conclude with a series of bitter tirades against various nations. But I wonder, as we wrap up the book of Jeremiah, if the Jeremiah was an effective tool, or on the other hand, if you have a hammer, does the whole world seem to be filled with nails? Yirmiyahu had a rough go of it, you know, leaving aside the fact that he was the delivery man for a message that no one wants to hear ever, He was also the target for assassination, he was a traitor, he was condemned to death, he barely escaped with his life. Outside of Baruch ben Neria, he probably had no other friends. He was forced into exile, where even there he was attacked for being a scold. As track records go, he's not getting inducted into any Hall of Fames necessarily. Uh, If you compare it to figures like Moshe, who brought Egypt low and led the Jews out of bondage. Who is this God that I should let your people go? Or Shmuel, who single-handedly established the monarchy, first with Shaul, then David. Long live the king! Long live the king! Or Eliyahu, who rebuked kings to their faces, along with raising the dead and bringing fire down from heaven to devour his enemies. Or Yeshayahu predicted the end of the Assyrian Empire and the defeat of Sanchariv. But Yirmiyahu... Okay, okay, let's be fair. It's not exactly, you know, a big loss. And it's not clear if correlation is causation. But despite the ruin that came raining down on the Jewish people during this period, the destruction of the kingdom, the despoiling and burning of the temple, the exile, things could have ended up sideways. And I know what you're thinking, like all those terrible things, what do you mean it could have gone sideways? Well, it could have been worse. And the thing is that Yirmiyahu managed to move the ball a couple of yards in the right direction. Well, at least the Tanakh seems to think so, because in the book of Ezra, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, quote, In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, when the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah was fulfilled... The Lord roused the spirit of King Cyrus of Persia to issue a proclamation throughout his realm by word of mouth and in writing. Because the thing is, Yirmiyahu said the exiles would return from Babylonia. He foretold the redemption. All the tragedies that befell the Jewish people were a mere prologue to the salvation. And the redemption would come when the Jews were ready to be redeemed. They were tribal, territorial, and kind of iffy on the idolatry thing. But post-exile, the Jews were unified and solidly good with God. The thing is, this transformation didn't happen all by itself, because if you think about it, exile time in Babylonia could have brought about a completely different outcome. 
Okay, the tribalism and territorialism was burned away by the defeat and the dispossession, but the Jews of Babylonia, like the Jews of Egypt, could have doubled down on the idolatry. They were relocated to the land of the most powerful empire in the region, one of, if not the most sophisticated cultures in the ancient Near East. Imagine living in the middle of Iowa or Alberta or somewhere and suddenly finding yourself relocated suddenly to Manhattan. Now, I know we have the internet and we have, you know, there's really, there's very little difference culturally. You know, you can sort of get access to all this stuff. But you know what I mean? Like living in Manhattan is different than living in, in, in rural Alberta. And I'm not just talking about getting used to the idea of spending $5 on coffee. Yirmiyahu tells the exiles that God is still with them, even in exile, and they can still worship God even when their cell phone seems to have no bars. God is everywhere and all the time, and what God demands, that we behave, there are no cheat days or get-out-of-jail-free cards, we are still committed. Yirmiyahu also tells the exiles that everybody, individually, is on the hook. Chapter 31, quote, In those days they shall no longer say parents have eaten sour grapes and children's teeth are blunted, but every one shall die for his own sins. Whosoever eats sour grapes, his teeth shall be blunted. We'll hear more about the personal recountability from the Babylonian prophet Yehezkel, whose book is coming up next. Yirmiyahu also has a more pragmatic, if not stoic, view about human action and desired outcomes. Miracles will not save the day. We must. When Sidkiyahu asks Yirmiyahu to whip up a miracle in chapter 38 and save Jerusalem from the Babylonians, Yirmiyahu says the only thing that will save Jerusalem is his decision, Sidkiyahu's decision to submit. Now, these ideas aren't original, but they seem not to stick. People still seek all kinds of ways to avoid taking responsibility, trotting out the if-trues and thoughts and prayers when confronted with a tough moral choice. We're all adept in going along and getting along, perpetuating the status quo, but then someone comes along and says, no more. And that someone inevitably ends up in jail, beaten, abused, and sometimes they end up freed and elected president. But sometimes, I guess they just fall short. If you like what you heard today, spread the word about TanakhCast. Send a friend an email to say, Hey, would it kill you to check out TanakhCast? Or even better, write a brief review at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Smart Radio, or SoundCloud. It's a small thing, really, but it will help other people who might be interested in some Bible learning find this podcast. Or if you want to help in a bigger way, support us at Patreon. Just search for TanakhCast and pledge your shekels either on a one-time or monthly basis and receive special blessings from the Most High. I thank you in advance for that and encourage you to join us again in two weeks for episode 120 when we begin the book of Ezekiel with chapters 1 through 3.